Great. We'll get started this morning. All right. Looks like we got some folks on vacation. Some folks out. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church this morning. Good to see everybody. I'd like to welcome those watching online as well. Hey, Andrew, can you hit the music, dude? I mean, I don't mind worshiping up here by myself. That's good. Thanks, bro. It's great to see everybody this morning. For those of you that may be visiting us for the first time or it's been a few weeks, we just want to extend a special greeting to you. We're so glad that you're here and want to welcome you this morning to worship with us. Got a few announcements, and then we're going to kick off things this morning with some testimonies from some of our youth um, after we just got back from our wonderful youth missions camp up in uh, North Carolina. But just to kick some things off, let you all know about some upcoming events that are happening Uh, This week and into July. Uh, Saturday, July 15th, there's an upcoming ladies' tea that's going to be taking place at the Gazebo Tea Room here off Perry Hill. Um, It's for ladies 19 and up, and uh, details and registration are on the website. Uh, The ladies can look at that to check that out. Uh, Men, two opportunities for this week. Uh, This Wednesday is the Men's Biscuits Game Outing for the men and boys, for the teenagers or sons, uh, for the guys to get together. For the 50-plus men who have registered, look for the email coming out this week with details. Um, If you still want to come, you can add your name to a wait list um, on the registration page, and then we'll try to get some more tickets if needed. But you guys can look at that on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. Also, this Saturday, July 1st, um, Wednesdays for the men and the boys, uh, there's a dad-daughter biscuits game night. It's princess night this Saturday, July 1st. Uh, details and registration on the website, and there's a sign-up deadline, which is tomorrow. So any of the dads of, as Grady said, any ages, I'm not sure if Haley wants me to take her at 21 years old, but uh, we make you go. But anyway, it's dads and daughters of any age to celebrate and be with each other on Princess Night for this Saturday. Well, those are some good announcements. We've also got some sad news, a little bittersweet. Uh, two families will be leaving us uh, this week, um, heading on to different adventures and places where the Lord is leading them. Uh, Cameron and Katie Ross are moving on um, in their four children. And uh, so we're going to pray for them after the service today. And also Zach and Rachel Stewart are heading up to the Nashville area uh, with Esther. And this will be their last Sunday as well. So you guys have all been a part of our body for many years. We love you all. And just want to encourage you after the service, if you both uh, couple to just come up here to the front and All of us, anybody that knows them, that they've invested in their lives, please come up at the end, lay hands on them. We'll be praying for them. And then Grady will say a prayer over them at the end of the service. All right, we're going to kick this off in a little different form of worship, what we like to call glory stories or testimonies. And so we're going to kick it off with a video to show you what we got to experience in a little way at our youth camp this week.
week. I love the fact they put this video together. They actually had our group at the end. I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, as you can see, we did a lot of amazing stuff. They did construction. They worked at a senior adult home. They did helped with a VBS. Uh, we actually provided food for fire departments, the sheriff's department. They worked at a homeless shelter. Um, There's just a vast amount of things they did all throughout the community up in uh, Henderson, North Carolina. And God showed up in a really wonderful way and moved on our students. So we're just going to have two come up real quickly. Holly, Ollie, and Hannah are just going to share briefly uh, what the Lord did. Yeah, Holly, Hannah, Holly. <laughs> Um, Hannah, we're going to go first. So, Hannah. Hey, guys. So, this week was really great. Um, we, me and Pastor CJ and a few of us, we worked with the first responders. And on the last day, we did a prayer walk around the city. And we prayed for people, tried to share the gospel. And I was really convicted because you really have to know your facts. You have to know the Bible to be able to share with people because they're going to want to know. They're going to know what you believe and why you believe it. So I was convicted because, I mean, I came to a stumbling block. Like, I was, I didn't know. And it's, it's easy to want to stay in your comfort zone. You know, just talk to people you know are Christians and share your thoughts. But, like, to go out and to talk to people who don't necessarily know was, it was hard. And it was convicting. But I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Hey guys, uh, my group, which included Elijah and Daniel Polk, we went and served at the local homeless shelter. And this homeless shelter was specifically Christian oriented. So they were constantly giving out Christ's love. We essentially cleaned the entire um, uh, campus from mopping and wiping down tables to just talking to the homeless people and just seeing just what their stories were, and like, y'all, there is a lot of hurt in the world, and all of us, no matter where we are in the world, we all need a savior. Uh, we were able to serve them lunch, we got to meet, I got, at our group were some wonderful people, and I got to meet so many wonderful people um, throughout this trip. It was just like a breath of fresh air coming, coming back from that trip, just coming back to Montgomery, so. Thank you both. And guys, we just want to thank you for all that gave money and helped support through the car wash. Um, we took 10 students up there, and we brought 10 new students back. They were transformed. We had an incredible night. The Holy Spirit moved on numerous occasions. Um, I was given permission to share this, but at the end, I don't know if you remember the very last picture of the video. It happened quick, but it was all of our team. I may get emotional. And um, I just love how the Holy Spirit had a certain individual dead center in the middle of it. And his name's Jeremy Walker. And um, this past week on Thursday, he celebrated his 13th birthday. He got to become a teenager, and we got to celebrate that. But the Wednesday night before, we got to celebrate a spiritual birth. And our brother Jeremy came to faith in Christ on Wednesday night. And we love you, Jeremy, and we celebrate with you today. And we're so grateful that you're with us. It was just amazing to see our kids surround him and pray, and God just moved. It was incredible. Wednesday night, there was not a dry eye in the place. We were all bawling and praying for each other, encouraging each other, and uh, God just used Jeremy as a catalyst. It was incredible, and so uh, this is what these are about, you know, and we told the rest of the youth that we're dragging all your kids next year, so just get ready. If you have a job, just go on vacation for the week, so... But we really appreciate what all of you done praying. I know many of you are interceding all week, but um, 
yeah, God did some miraculous stuff. And uh, Jeremy was just a wonderful testament to his faithfulness and what the Lord did. So, so with that in mind, let's stand as we prepare our hearts for the Lord to worship him in song. And thank you, Ollie and Hannah. We appreciate you too. And God, continue, guys, continue to pray for our students, our whole youth group. God has blessed us with some amazing young people. They love the Lord. They love his word. And we're just very excited about what God's going to do with this rest of the summer and preparing them for the new school year. But I'm going to read over us just a few verses here from Psalm chapter 103, 1 verses uh, 1 through 8. And just as what we saw on the screen, how God showed up in a mighty way, but this is who he is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's worship that God this morning.
his cross my trust shall be take this world and give me jesus till that day my lord i see take this world and give me jesus it is cross my trust shall be take this
give us word. You give us great and precious promises. We've sung about some of those that you will love us, that you provide for us physically, spiritually, that you forgive us, that you will come back. These are great and precious promises. And you stand in them, not because they're easy, but because you have said you will bring them to for the God that we come to worship here today and to lift high. And we lift you high for that attribute that you have, your, your faithfulness. We, we thank you for that as we pause and reflect on how many times that we've needed that. We just, we just lift you high. We lift, as we see the children exit, here in just a few minutes and we say how you've blessed this church we think we see how you have blessed the families that are in this church and we pray that uh, you will grant us the the love and the perseverance to be faithful in, in the roles that we had and those roles continue on as those children get big and hairy and have their own kids we pray that you help us to be faithful and loving and all of those attributes that you shower on us through your grace, that you, you help us share those in, in the ways that are of your design on our children. We pray that you'll strengthen us. We lift up to you people who are ministering outside of this congregation, places that you have us serving here, serving overseas in various capacities, serving in, in the city, the homeless shelter that CJ spoke spoken about. We, you, have, you have us serving in various places out in the community and help us to hear your voice as to what we should say and what we shouldn't at that time, what to do. Help us to hear your spirit as it speaks and how we should reflect you to those that are around us and what we do and say as we go throughout the day. We thank you for your many blessings, how you provide for us so well. We lift up to you the military folks that are that are uh, sort of uh, shifting and transitioning. We just pray for them and those that have gone and those that are that are going soon. That you will uh, provide a, a new church family, a new spiritual family where they're going. That you'll help them to 
find that quickly and to hear your direction and to plug in and uh, pray that for them as they, as they move. This is not unexpected, but that they move, that you will help them to, to just find that next place and that they will continue to grow in you as a consequence of that. We lift up to you the, uh, the money that's been given online and, and here in the church today. Well, while they're on their way to kids of worship, you'll find 1 Peter chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, friends, this is the next to last week in our study of 1 Peter. <clears throat> we've spent 50 weeks in this book so far, and we have one more week to go. I should have strung it out one more week so we haven't even 52, but we have 51 weeks in 1 Peter, and we wrap it up next Sunday, and we will celebrate communion at the close of the service next Sunday to celebrate all the Lord has stretched us in and grown us in and this and His grace that we've been studying about all throughout this letter. Well, today we're continuing in the final closing words of Peter's letter to the readers then and to us today. And these are important exhortations and important reminders for us as we come to the close of the letter. Now, last week we saw the sobering reminder that there's a very real spiritual being who hates God and who hates God's people and who is working actively to destroy us. So even this week, there's an enemy who's been working to devour us and destroy us. And we saw one of his strategies last week is that he works in the midst of our sufferings to try to create doubt, to try to undermine our faith, to try to get us to fear him and to get us to fear our sufferings. And that reality we saw last week raises a question for us. If we are going to face sufferings in this life, and we will, and if we have an enemy who's working to destroy us, and we do, is there any hope? Is there any hope that we will actually make it? Is there any hope that we can withstand Satan's attacks and resist him? Is there any hope that we can endure sufferings and hardships in this life with joy? Is there any hope that we can stay true to the Lord until we die? Is there any hope that we actually will see God face to face one day? Is there hope, friends, that we will enjoy God's presence forever when the life of this journey is so very hard and full of sufferings and full of oppositions from the enemy and full of oppositions from the world? Is there hope? We'll make it to our eternal home. And that's exactly what Peter addresses next, what we were just singing about just a moment ago. Is there hope that we will make it? And the answer Peter closes his letter with is a yes. And not just a yes, but a resounding yes. There is hope that we will make it. But friends, that hope does not come from anything that we do. In fact, in the two verses we're going to look at today in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, there's not even one command for us here. These are simply truths about God's nature, truths about God's promises, and those truths about who God is and what He's promised are there to give us hope as we journey through the hardships of life. So we read verses 10 and 11 this morning. You're going to see many familiar themes. Peter wraps up this letter by just recapping things he said over and over throughout this letter about God's grace 
about our calling, about suffering, about eternity. These themes that we've seen over and over over this year. He's going to end his letter by recapping those for us. So as we read our two verses this morning, be looking for those familiar themes that you've seen, but be looking also for the nature of God. These two verses are just full of who God is. And then be looking for how does that give us hope. So what are the themes you've seen? What's the nature of God? And how do we have hope in all that? So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. And once again, we'll have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that as we look at these truths from your word, truths we've seen throughout this letter, I pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see them today, to see the wonder of who you are, to see the wonder of your promises to us. And I pray today, God, we would leave this place having found new hope because of who you are and what you've told us you will do for us. So anchor us in the truth of your word this day. I pray your Holy Spirit will give us understanding and clarity in our thinking and apply this truth to each of our lives as only he can. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, here's the truth I want you to see from this, these two verses this morning, and then we will unpack it as we work through it this morning. But from 1 Peter 5, I want you to see this morning, God promises to sustain us through the hardships of this life as we journey towards our forever home with Him. That God has promised to sustain us through all the hardships of life as we journey towards our forever home with Him. Friends, this is a text full of hope. As we've seen many times, hope in Scripture is not some type of wishful thinking, Hope in Scripture is a sure confidence of what is to come. And so we have a sure confidence, friends, that we will make it through this suffering. We have a sure confidence that we will make it to eternity with God, to being with Him forever. But that sure confidence does not come from us trying harder, does not come from some checklist of things we can do, doesn't come from us trying to hang on to God. It's found in God alone and His promises and His nature that assures us we can trust Him. In him. Let's kind of unpack that idea and let's start where we started so often in this letter with the reality of sufferings in this life. I don't have a count of how many of the messages we've looked at have started with this truth that there are sufferings in this life. And we come to it one last time in the letter today. Look back at verse number 10. Notice how our English translations begin it. And after you have suffered a little while. Now just pause right there. The word he uses here for suffer is a broad word in scripture. It places in Scripture this word suffer is used to describe the persecutions that come to believers because they love Jesus. The other places in Scripture this word that is translated suffer here is used to describe the pains and hurts that we experience as we walk through the brokenness and the hardships of life. In other places in Scripture this word suffer is just tied to the struggle with physical sickness and illness. And even once in Scripture this word struggle is used to describe mental anguish someone has. In other words, Peter picks a word for suffering here that encompasses the plethora of types of hardships we may encounter in life. And he shows us here that hardships, that no believer is exempted from those hardships. Because I think this is hard for the American church sometimes because somehow we act and talk like we are the exception to persecution, that we are the exception to sufferings. But God hasn't set us apart to be free of pain and hardships in this life. As we've seen over and over in this letter, sufferings and hardship is a normal part of the Christian life. And we're told here in verse 10 that after you've suffered a little while. Now a little while here does not mean that these are going to be short seasons of suffering. It does not mean it's trying to give us it's not trying to give us hope that it'll end soon. A little while is an image 
for our entire life. It's an image in Scripture to describe the entirety of our life. It's a contrast with the word eternal later in this verse. Our sufferings last a little while, but there's eternal life that's still to come. And so if you could imagine, if we get a long piece of yarn and tack it onto the wall right there and start wrapping around this room and running with it multiple times and take that yarn and run down to the preschool and then run out to the breezeway, then run around the gym with it multiple times and maybe even get brave and run out to Bell Road and run it down the road for a while. If that is eternity, then you went and took a sharpie and put a dot on one point of that line. That's this earthly life. And all of our sufferings, the little while, is that one dot on that line that goes and goes and goes on and on and on forever and ever. That's the image that Peter's trying to get to us. Yes, life is hard. Yes, life is full of sufferings. But it's a dot on a line that you cannot see the end to. Your life on this earth is a little while. It is brief. We see this in other places in Scripture. For example, James chapter 4, verse 14. Yet do you not know what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Even this morning as our family was eating breakfast, you look out the window and you see all the, the dew, the moisture on the ground. It's long gone by the time we even got to campus this morning. It had gone that quickly. And that's the image for us of how short our lives are and the sufferings of this life. It is this little time here. And so Peter's ending his letter reminding us that in this earthly life, it will be full of sufferings. But that is short. That is a little while in comparison to eternity. And this reminder that we will have sufferings is nothing new. He began the letter early with it back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for, same word, a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He told us back in chapter 4, verse 12 as well. Something very similar. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. And now here in verse 10, he comes to the close of the letter and reminds us that after you have suffered a little while. And so the sufferings are reality. They are hard. So where's the hope found? You and I will face sufferings of many types in this life. So where is the hope? And the hope is found in the nature of God, and hope is found in the promises of God. So let's start with the nature of God here, because for us to believe his promises, we have to know that the one who says these things is trustworthy. So what do we learn about God in this text here? Three things, three attributes of God that we see Peter reminding us of as he wraps up this letter. Number one, Peter reminds us that God is gracious, that God is gracious here. And I love this phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases in the book. Notice what he says. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all Grace, the God of all grace. And in fact, when Peter wrote this, that phrase is the emphasis of this, this, this sentence here. Our English translations start with the suffering, but when Peter wrote, he actually began with grace. If you read this in the Greek language he wrote, he literally begins, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while. And then he goes on. He actually puts the emphasis, the beginning of this, this text here on the God is a God of all Grace. Now, we talk about grace often, but let me remind us, you know this well if you've been around Gateway a while, grace is getting what you do not deserve. It is unmerited favor from God. It is undeserved blessings from God. And we are told that God is the God of all unmerited favor. That God is God of all undeserved blessings. God is the God who gives what people do not deserve. That means two things here. It means, one, that grace is part of God's nature. That grace is part of God's very nature. It's his attribute. It's not like an add-on or something peripheral to God that at the core of who God is, he's gracious. Just as he is holy and righteous and wrathful and just and all those attributes, at the core of who he is, one of his attributes 
He is gracious. That also then means he is the giver of all grace. Friends, anytime you and I experience undeserved blessings in any form in this life, any type of unmerited favor, it has come ultimately from God. He is the God of all grace. And friends, God's grace is so important, Peter began the letter with it. Go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 2, in his opening sentence. Notice that last phrase, his prayer at the beginning is a greeting. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he begins the letter talking about grace, and then very quickly he calls us to focus our minds on God's grace. Chapter 1, verse 13, he tells us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. He then, as he goes through the letter, ties grace and suffering together. In chapter 2, verse 19, he shows us, For this is a gracious thing. Literally, this is grace when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That even our sufferings are somehow part of God's grace to us. And then he will, as we'll see next week, he will end the letter with a reminder of grace in chapter 5, verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so here in verse 10, he tells us that God is the God of all grace. So at the core of what Peter says here, we realize that God is gracious. He delights in giving grace to his people. He delights in providing undeserved blessings to you and to me. But there's a second aspect of God's character here in this text. That is God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Look at verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Literally, it says dominion belongs to him. Dominion belongs to God. Now, what is dominion? That's probably not a word you used in your conversations this week around the the water fountain at work, right? What is dominion? Dominion means sovereignty or control over an area. You talk about the territory of a sovereign government. That is its dominion. So we say the U.S. has dominion, has sovereignty over these 50 states. You watch the news and the wars and the threats of war over dominion. Who has control over whether it's Ukraine or Taiwan. You see these talks of dominion and sovereignty and control over an area. And we're told here in verse 11, literally the dominion or the sovereign rule belongs to God. Now, as we've discussed before earlier in 1 Peter, a claim to dominion is pointless if there's not power to enforce it, right? Dominion and power go hand in hand. That's why countries have military, because it does no, no good to see them say, this is, we have dominion, we have sovereignty over this land if you do not have any way to enforce that from others who want to take it from you. And so interestingly, in the Greek language that Peter writes, the word for power and the word for dominion are the same word. They get translated. So in some places, this word here that's translated dominion It's translated power in other places. So to God be the dominion, to God be the power forever and ever. And so Peter's reminding and even closing the letter reminding us that God has all sovereignty. He has all dominion. He has all power. Nothing can stop his rule. So God is gracious. God is powerful. And one more, and William already stole the thunder on this one as he prayed earlier, God is faithful. God is faithful. Now the word faithful is not used here, but the idea is all throughout this text. Look back at verse 10. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, knows this, will himself. Now don't skip over those words, will himself. It's easy to just pass over those. But don't miss the wonder of what this is describing. It's describing the faithfulness of God. That God is going to do what God has said he would do. Now when we talk about the faithfulness of God, we mean that God is true to his nature. God will never do anything contrary to his nature. Faithfulness means that God will always do what he has promised to do. And it means that God will never break a promise. 
So what William already referenced earlier, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, I want you to see that again as well. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God is faithful. Everything God has promised to do, God will do, because he's faithful. That's why Paul can say about the promises of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. There's a confidence, a hope that God will always do what God has said he will do. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here. Go back to verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself. That what God is about to promise to do, he himself will do. He's not entrusting to other people who might do it or might not do it. He himself is guaranteeing that the thing he's about to promise us, he himself will make happen. Now, before we look at what God promised us to do, I want you to realize how important it is to embrace all three of these. That God is gracious, that God is powerful, and that God is faithful. Because think what would happen if one of those was not true of God. If one of those attributes was lacking. What if God was gracious but lacked power? You would have a God who was like, hey, I wanted to do good for you, but I just couldn't help it. I'm really sorry. You would have a weak God who could not necessarily deliver on his promises. What if you had a powerful God, though, who lacked grace? We would have no hope, friends. We would be obliterated because of our sin and offenses against God. But what if you had a powerful, gracious God, but who was not faithful? And he woke up in the morning, so to speak, and he was in a bad mood that day. And he's like, you know, I told him I'd be gracious, but I'm really tired of their sin. And he just wipes us out in that moment. We would never know if he would actually do what he said. But God is gracious, and he is powerful, and he's faithful. And he's always been and always will be. That means that God will do everything he says here he's going to do. And we can hope in that because he will do what he has said he will do. And what does God promise to do? God has promised to sustain us throughout the hardships of life as we journey towards our heavenly home with him. Notice how God promises that he will sustain us. Go back to verse 10 here. Notice how he starts by having us look backwards. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you. Now just stop right there. God has called you. We've seen this over and over in this letter. God's calling is his drawing people to salvation, him giving people salvation. We saw it back in chapter 1 in 1 Peter 1, 15. He who called you is holy, you also be holy. We saw it in chapter 2 in 1 Peter 2, 9 as well. We're told there, but you are a chosen. You're chosen by God. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Here's the description of the calling. He called you out of darkness, out of being lost in your sin, and to his marvelous light. And so Peter's ending the letter by reminding us that our salvation is all of God. That if we are in Christ, it's not because we're smart, wise, amazing people who found God, but because God pursued us. This is the very thing that Paul teaches in Romans chapter 8, verse 30 as well. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, why does Peter begin by pointing us backwards? Because hope is tied to this, friends. Just as our initial salvation is not dependent upon us, neither is our getting through this life dependent upon us. If me getting to heaven is dependent upon my faithfulness and my strength, I have no hope. And just as well, he reminds us, because us getting to eternity is not dependent on us either. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.30 here, not only those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified. But notice this, those he justified, he glorified. 
as well. This hope for that day when we're welcomed into his presence forever, when we receive resurrection bodies, when we experience perfection with him forever and ever, that that is just as sure as our initial salvation because it's not up to us. It's all dependent upon him. And that future glorification is what Peter keeps reminding us of over and over. He began the letter with it back in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. That we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How do we know we'll get there? Because by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for salvation as it's ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, yes, if you're in Christ, you're already saved, but there's a lot more to come. There's a fuller salvation, an experience of glorification that we've yet to experience. We're already saved, but there's still more to come in our salvation. Our calling to salvation is not just I'm forgiven so I can go live like I want. The calling to salvation is I'm forgiven. Now God is changing me and sanctifying me, preparing me for that day that I am glorified and with him forever. Go back to verse 10 and notice how he takes the past and points his future to the promise. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you, notice has called you to his eternal glory. When God saves us initially, he puts us on that path that is culminated in us experiencing God's glory forever and ever and ever. That's why back in chapter 3, verse 18, when we're talking about our salvation, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And he's already brought us to God. We're justified when we're saved, but there's an experience still to come when we are brought into the presence of God and see him in all of his glory. As I was thinking on that and studying this week, I came across something that one of my favorite theologians, Wayne Grudem, said, and just made me pause and and consider this, and I want you to see this as well. Grudem says this, the manifold excellence of God's character, now just pause right there. When we think about all that God is, the manifold excellence of it, friends, this is mind-boggling to try to think about how excellent and how amazing and how beautiful and majestic and praiseworthy God is. The manifold excellence of God's character is given spectacular expression in his eternal glory. You can just pause there, friends. Like We get to experience now God's grace and God's love. And even hearing CJ talk about the youth camp and the way they experience the love of God and God changing lives, we get a foretaste of that, friends, but we've only gotten a little tiny foretaste of what is to come. The manifold excellence of God's character is given spectacular expression and his eternal glory. But notice this, something that ordinarily will cause us to remain distant. Because friends, when we see the glory of God revealed in scripture, people aren't jumping around being like, whoa, this is amazing, everything is awesome. When the manifold excellencies of God are on display, people fall down on their face in absolute terror and fear. You see the beings around God's thrones covering their faces in the presence of God's glory. This is something that normally would keep people distant because the excellencies of God are on display. Cause us to remain distant and fearful awe. But then Grudem goes on. I want you to see what he says next. I think we have a next part of that quote, right? Yet, let's change this here. God has decided that we should not remain distant, but that we should be summoned into the midst of his own glory. Yes, even that we should come in Christ to share in it. Friends, that is what is awaiting us in our future part of our salvation, that we are not distant from the glory of God, but we will get to experience the glory of God and all of His brilliance for all eternity. And yet what Peter reminds us, the road to that point is a difficult road. 
The road to that point when we get to experience God's glory forever and ever is a road full of pain and sickness and trials and suffering and persecution and hardships. But God is promising us that we will get to that point, that he himself will see us through to that point to where we get to see, not from a distance, but in his presence, the glory of God on full display. And to make sure we believe that he is going to actually get us there, look back at verse 10. Because God gives us four verbs, four actions that he himself will do to make sure we get there. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Four things here. Not one of them are things we do. Not one of them are actions or commands for us. All four of these are descriptions of what God does for us. And together, these four words paint one picture of what God does. It's one big idea, but they have some beautiful nuances of what God is promising us. Look at the first one here. That God himself has promised he will restore us. Some of your translations say he will perfect us or he will put right. In the Greek language Peter writes here, it's actually the exact word for mend. It's the exact same words when the, the gospels describe the disciples sitting by the ocean, mending their nets. It's the exact same word that Peter picks here. And I can't help but think he's thinking about that when he's mending nets and Jesus calls to him. Now there's a promise that God will mend us. Now what does it mean to mend something? It means you repair where it's broken. You make it right so that it can do what it was supposed to do. For Peter as a fisherman, if his net had a hole in it, his net was pointless on catching fish. So he would mend it so it could do what it was supposed to do. To do, And that's the picture for us he, here. Because of our own sin in our hearts, because of the hardships of this life, friends, we need mending. We are broken. There are problems in our life. But the day is coming that God himself will mend us. That God himself will repair us, will put things right so that we can do what we were called to do. And that is to glorify God. The day is coming, friends, that God himself is promising that we will have resurrection bodies that all of our sicknesses will be healed, that the struggles will be done away with, that our anxious minds will be settled, that we will be mended so that we can do what God made us to do, and that is glorify him forever. There's a second word Peter uses here besides mending. He himself will confirm. Now, the word confirm means to become firm and unchanging in what you think and what you believe, to be unchanging and firm in what you think and what you believe. So if you say something was confirmed to you, that means it's settled in your mind. You know for sure that that is what happened. And so what we're being promised here, the day is coming that we will see God and God will confirm our faith. Our faith will become sight. All the doubts we struggle with, all the lies the enemy will be done away with, and we will never, ever, ever waver in our faith or belief again because our faith will now be sight. So God will mend us. God will confirm us. He will establish us in our faith. Number three here is that he will strengthen us. Some translations say he will empower us. For in this life, you and I are weak. And frail, we are weak and frail physically and mentally and emotionally and, yes, even spiritually. But the day is coming that God himself is promising to strengthen us so we are never frail again. No more physical frailness, no more emotional frailness, no more spiritual frailness. Just perfection in his presence and in the midst of his glory forever and ever and ever. He promises to strengthen us. And the last one, number four here, he promises to establish us. Or your translation may say to secure us. And friends, that word is an architectural word. It means to make sure the house is anchored on a solid foundation. What Peter's saying is the day is coming when we will know for certainty that we were on the right foundation. Despite the wars of the enemy and the doubts he throws at us, despite the opposition and the mocking of the world, 
He's saying the day is coming. Your faith will be vindicated. Your faith will be proved to be true. And you'll be anchored in Christ forever and ever. There's something interesting here about these four words. Often when we talk about the words and how they're used in the Greek language, I mentioned there's singular words and plural words. And so many of the commands we look at are plural, that together these things are being promised us, or together these are things that we're to pursue. That's not the case here. In the Greek language, this is singular. These are singular promises. The only plural thing here is about sufferings. The only thing plural here is when it says, and after you all have suffered for a little while, literally after y'all together have suffered, what is God going to do? The rest of this is, is singular. He himself will He himself called you. He called you by name. That's singular. He will restore you. That's singular. He will confirm you. That's singular. He will strengthen you. That's singular. He will establish you. That's singular. Do you see what he's doing here? He's taking these promises of Scripture and saying, if you are in Christ, you can cling to this. You can put your name in this. If you know Christ, you yourself can look for the day that you will certainly be restored. You will certainly be confirmed. You yourself will personally be strengthened. You yourself will personally be established by God himself. These are promises for you as a believer in Christ, and he wants us to believe those. Let's bring all that back together. So what is the promise here for us in this text? The promise is this. God himself promises to sustain us through all the hardships, the sufferings, the persecution, the sicknesses, the trials, the difficulties of this life as we journey towards our forever home with him. Now, this is not a promise that he's going to get us to that point in the safest, easiest, happiest, most comfortable way possible. This is a promise, rather, that he will get us and even redeem those trials and those hardships. What we just sang about, what William mentioned in the prayer that he will get us through the difficulties to that day when those difficulties go away, when we see his eternal glory, when we experience being restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. And how do we know he will do that for us, friends? Because he's a God of all grace, because he's a God who's all-powerful, and because he's a God who's faithful to do what he said he will do. That means two things for us. Number one, it means the more we understand God's nature, the more we have hope in the trials. The more we understand the nature of God, the more we will have hope in the difficulties of this life. The way we get through difficulties in life is not by positive thinking or declarations that I'm going to get through this. The way we get through difficulties is by knowing the nature of our God. And so my first question for you this morning, are you growing in the knowledge of who God is? Do you know more of the attributes of God than you did last year? Do you better understand the character of God than you did last summer? Do you know more the depths of God's word than you did six months ago? Are you growing in knowing God? Because the more we know God and his nature, the the better prepared we are for whatever trials and sufferings and hardships come our way. But there's a second thing that means. It also means the more we know the promises of God, the better strength we have to get through these trials. The more we know the promises of God, the better we can get through these trials because we know that God has promised to bring us to heaven and we find strength to press on knowing what God has promised awaits us. And friends, the promises of God are only found in Scripture. So do you know the promises of God? Do you know more of God's promises than you last summer? Do you know more of God's word than you did at Christmas time? Are you growing in your knowledge of who God is and His promises is found in Scripture? God promises if you are in Christ, he promises to sustain you through whatever hardships you may face and bring you to that journey of being with him forever and ever and ever in his eternal glory. Friends, do you believe that? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the promises of your word, the one we've seen today that we will get to experience your eternal glory in Christ. 
that the day is coming for us, that we are restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Lord, thank you for the hope, the reminder that this is not all there is. It's so much more awaits us. Lord, there's so many other promises in your word. I pray that you would anchor us in that. Lord, we confess as a people, as William prayed earlier, Father, we are such a faithless people. You see how quickly we begin to live like this world is everything and we forget about eternity. So quickly we fall into sin patterns instead of thinking about your holiness. So often we lose sight of your glory. Lord, we just confess that to you. Lord, we are a needy people. We need your grace. We need more of your grace to turn our hearts to you, to turn our hearts to eternity, to live as exiles in this world, knowing this is not our home. And Lord, we need your grace to grow in our longings for your word, individually and as families and as a church. Lord, we want to be a people who know you as you've revealed yourself in Scripture. God, we want to be a people who know your promises so when the hardships come, we're not left clinging and just to wishful thinking, but we can go to your word and look at the promises you have given us to be with us and to sustain us and to redeem the trials and to bring us to heaven, Lord. Let us be a people who love your word, who love growing in knowledge of you and love growing and knowing your promises. Lord, we can't manufacture those desires Only you can. And so we ask for you, the God of all grace, to give us abundant grace, to give us grace upon grace, Lord, that we might better know you and know your promises as we journey to heaven. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song home that day as we think about eternity with God forever?
pray for us. To Cameron and to Katie and to Zach and Rachel and to the kids, you guys are well loved. You guys are going to be missed and we do pray. As y'all head to Tennessee and as you guys head to Colorado, that the Lord's blessings upon you. We're praying for a church home for you guys. We're praying for community and just as you guys have so faithfully served here for so many years, we pray that God will give you many open doors to serve faithfully in the places that he establishes you next. So just know we love you guys. We're thankful for you guys and look forward to hearing how the Lord works in y'all and through you guys in the years to come. Now, before I pray for us, I want us to do a closing benediction. I want us to read it out loud together this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This ties into what we've been singing about and what we've been talking about all throughout this week. Let's say this out loud together, friends. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 24, this is a huge promise for us. We've been thinking about all morning. Let's say it together. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And Father, that is our hope, that you are a God who is gracious to us and you do not treat us like our sins deserve, but rather you give us blessing upon blessing that we can never earn or ask for or deserve. God, we know you're God of all power, that you can do whatever you desire to do. Lord, we also know you're a God of faithfulness. You're faithful to your character, your nature. You're faithful to us, your people, and you're faithful to your word and your promises. And I pray that would be an anchor for us in the highs and the lows of this week, that we would rest in your faithfulness and your faithfulness alone. Lord, it's already been prayed up front here as we were singing. Lord, we pray for Zach and Rachel and Cameron and Katie and all their kids as they transition to Tennessee and Colorado for your blessings to be upon them. They would experience your faithfulness and the move, your faithfulness and being established in new cities, your faithfulness to them and finding church community, your faithfulness to them and giving them opportunities to serve and make you known where you have placed them in this next season. So we give you praise for all you have done and all you will do. We ask it all for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.